while you were gone, I went up north for a day mm-hmm. and uh, took my buggy mm-hmm. and did trail riding. Yeah. With your thing? Yeah, with my buggy. My buggy, Eddie and I went. Oh, nice. Where'd you go? Uh, near St. Helen. Mm-hmm. You know where that is? Yeah. And if I can just get... Where did albums go? What the fuck? Albums used to be a thing and... Library. Messages. Here we go. This is a really fun spot we found. It's a huge sand hill. Oh, nice. Yeah. Wait a minute. Wait for it. Wait for it. Whoa. Right? Brandon's like, you're going to flip that thing. Brandon said that. Yeah. See, I was going fast the whole time, but you can't really tell yeah. how fast I'm going until I'm like cl- really close to it. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, cool, Race. You're going up a hill. <laughs> no. It was, that is cool. That would be a lot of fun. I have to say, I do miss like. America. <laughs> <Sorry>. Yeah. <laughs> America. All right. Good City Brewing. Same company? No, is it? Yep. Good City's getting some love today. Are we ready? We are going live in three, two, one, check. Hello and welcome to episode 66, Prosperity by the Pine. I'm your host, Bryce Carter, certified financial planner, chartered financial consultant, certified investment management analyst, and self-proclaimed millennial money expert. This podcast where we talk about money, investing, business, and life success, all while having a cold beer. Cold beer of the week. Once again, from Good City Brewing out of Milwaukee, uh, and another compliment of my producer, Allie, uh, from her vacation. Spare time, hazy IPA, 5.4%. Um, seek the good, they say. So let's give it a try. Cheers. That is lovely. Kind of uh, has like a sweet, uh, like almost lemony finish. Really good. I like it a lot. So this episode is a continuation of the part two, uh, uh, the previous episode on the case for international investing. In the previous episode, I talked about how the U.S. has outperformed international markets over the last decade. Much of that inter- uh, perform- outperformance has been because of six companies in two sectors. That is communication services and technology. And those six companies are fa- Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, Netflix, and Microsoft. So Facebook, Amazon, Alphabet. Which one did I not say, Allie? Apple, Amazon. (laughs) There's three A's. Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, Netflix, Microsoft, and Facebook. And those companies are the primary driver of the outperformance, along with the fact that 
international markets are weighted more towards energy, infrastructure, and financials. And over the last 10 years, financials and energy have underperformed. Communication services and technology have outperformed. And in this episode, I wanted to talk about why they can, there's still a continued case for international investing. Now, the first reason being simply for the diversification. There's risks in investing solely in one country, and there is uh, a diversification element to owning other countries. For example, let's say, and I'm not making a political statement here, but if Joe Biden were to win the presidency this year, there is a political agenda there that's not necessarily great for the stock market. It might be good for people. I don't know what your view is, and I don't care. But the fact of the matter is, if you, you preach for higher corporate taxes and you preach for a limitation of stock buybacks or dividends or executive bonuses, those are all things that the stock market is not going to like. So political problems can lead to a single country underperforming. Makes sense? So it doesn't really matter what your political leaning is. I will tell you that higher taxes, more regulation are bad for the stock market. Okay. That's the, that's, that's the, 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 basically the platform that the democratic party is going to run on. So be it. I don't care whether you agree or disagree with that. Those are facts that doesn't, whether it ends up being good for the people or not, it does not matter. I'm just telling you, it's going to be bad for the stock market. That's not to cast shade at any one party or another, but that's just the way that it is. Whereas lower taxes, lower regulation, sure, that has a ripple effect and will end up in other places and and cause problems, but it, it can cause problems. It is good for the stock market, lower taxes, lower regulation. The second thing that I want to say is that, so that's the first thing. You have political risk. You have exterior risks that are maybe not necessarily as apparent until a, a future predetermined a preacher future undetermined risk presents itself such as COVID-19 you know the U.S. has had over 100,000 deaths our cases are starting to spike again internationally and we're we have states starting to shut down again internationally they seem to be handling this a lot better I don't know why I'm not an epidemiologist I'll just tell you that if we continue to have to shut down and other countries can remain open that's a problem for us that's a risk right you also look at so that's one and two. You have you have political risk. You have exterior other uh, unpredictable risks. You have currency risk. We know that we're spending money like crazy and going into debt as a country that's devaluing our dollar. So that's currency risk. You have another element which is uh, I haven't even touched on it at all in the last episode, and that is a demographic composition. So the U.S. is about four point two percent of the world population, but we're fifty eight percent of the market value, the stock market. 68% of the world is, is, is in emerging markets. So uh, only about 4.2% of the world population is the U.S. And, and so there's 96% of the world you can invest in, right? That's the population. Those populations are coming, in many cases, out of poverty and into an industrialized world. That's like getting behind the U.S. as, as we exploded following World War I, following World War II, and we became the economic uh, powerhouse that we are today. We were having babies. There's a, other countries, particularly emerging market countries, tend to have much younger populations, which are good for business. A dying population is not necessarily good for economic growth, right? So, you know, you have some demographic components here. You have currency risk. You have political risk. Not to say that one country is any better than another, but it's to say that by owning a variety of countries, just like we own a variety of stocks and in a variety of different sizes and a variety of industries, diversification is what prevails, right? And I'm going to give some specific examples as to why the argument that, well, it's a global economy now, so it doesn't really matter when you're investing in large companies doesn't necessarily matter because there's still the valuation component. So right now, based on where the market is priced, it's pricing in 7.9% growth for the U.S. 
company, U.S. companies to grow their earnings, grow their businesses, grow their market share, 7.9% forward growth expectations for U.S. It's about 2% internationally. So that means that international companies are going to do a fifth or put another way, U.S. companies are going to do five times better than international companies. Now, I'm going to give you some examples of some companies, and you tell me whether you think that, that the U.S. counterpart can do better. So you have five times better. So J.P. Morgan, Chase, and this is this, some of these statistics are a little bit dated, but dated August of 19. So J.P. Morgan, uh, Chase, in August of 19 was uh, trading at 10 times earnings. So $10 for every dollar in earnings. Unicredit, very big European bank, very similar business model, trading at 62 times earnings. So is JP Morgan going to do five times better than Unicredit? Absolutely not. One, our government wouldn't let JP Morgan get that much bigger without causing major problems. But the other thing to think about is that it's now already priced at almost twice as much as Unicredit is per, per earnings. So not only is the market pricing in more growth, it's pricing in the more expensive. Uh, ExxonMobil is, was, it's not anywhere near this now, 15.4% dollar price to earnings ratio. So $15.4 dollars in price for every dollars in earnings versus total, which is a, a European uh, energy company at 10. Another example, very relevant because I have children, Hershey versus Nestle. Hershey, US-based uh, candy chocolate maker, 25 times earnings, $25 in price for every dollar of earnings. Nestle, $22 in earnings. Um, Boeing versus Airbus in August of 19, 19.7 versus 19.2. And then Apple versus Samsung. Apple in August of 19 was trading at $15.9 in earning, uh, in price per every dollar of earnings versus Samsung at 12.8. These are extremely similar companies. I mean, I know that we tend to be more of an iPad, iPhone country, but it, there is way more people internationally using Android products, particularly Samsung, which is the Apple of, the, uh, of Asia. And, and a lot, and they're less expensive. So what I'm saying is that international markets are more expensive or less expensive. U.S. markets are more expensive and U.S. markets are expecting much larger growth, which is why they're more expensive. Demographics aren't behind us. There's a significant political risks. There's significant exterior risk, COVID being one of them. We can't know risks that are not present themselves. Additionally, you can get a better yield internationally, right? So a lot of people like to invest for dividend yield. Beer break here. If you listen to the last episode, I kind of got hammered down into the numbers a little bit. I'm doing the same thing this time. But it, some of these points, it's very hard to get across uh, without a visual. So I'm doing my best to keep the numbers entertaining for you. So a lot of people like to buy stocks for dividends. I, I'm not going to argue that whether that's a, a good idea or a bad idea. I don't think you should buy a stock for just a dividend, but I'm I, just just my point is a lot of people like to buy stocks for dividends, and I can't blame you for it. That pays you cash flow. So the number of companies as of August of 19 with dividend yields higher than 3%. In the U.S., it was 158 companies. In emerging markets, it was 518 companies. In international developed, these are companies with established, developed economies. They're not in political strife. They're not, uh, they could be in political strife, we don't know. But they're, you know, Germany, Japan, um, Great Britain, et cetera. 498 companies internationally developed that have a dividend yield of higher than 3%. 518 in emerging markets and only 158 in the U.S. And part of that is because those companies are undervalued. They're not trading as high as they should. But another part of that is they're waiting in things that like to pay dividends, like energy and uh, financials. 
Another thing is when you're investing internationally, you can pull from a bigger pool, right? So the U.S. pharmaceutical market, uh, it's judged by the, the MSCI Pharmaceutical Index, is about 12 companies. Johnson & Johnson, Pfizer, Merck, Eli Lilly, and about eight other companies of proportionate different sizes. And it makes up $1.1 trillion in market cap. Internationally, there is more than 70 companies in the pharmaceutical index and they're $1.5 trillion in market index. Now, all it takes is one of those companies to come up with revolutionary drugs and all of a sudden you start to see the, inter the pharmaceutical market internationally outperform the U.S. market. And then what percentage of the top 50 stocks each year are non-U.S.? Take a, take a guess while you're listening. What percentage of the top 50 performing stocks are non-U.S. each year? Take a guess. Just while you're sitting there in your car, listening, wherever, take a guess while I take a quick beer break. What percentage of the top 50 stocks each year are non-U.S.? This is a damn good beer. Good job, Allie. The answer is 74%. So in 2019, as of August 2019, year to date, 80% of the top 50 stocks were non-U.S. stocks. 56% of the uh, top performing were uh, in 2018. 94% in 2018. 88% in 2016. 90% in 2015. The point is there's a lot of really good performing companies, really good companies internationally, which we should own a piece of. The second thing is, well, not the second thing, it's probably like the eighth thing at this point, is many European companies derive their revenue from outside the region. So this is along the same argument that you don't need to own U.S. companies because they're all global now, large U.S. global companies, right? So like General Motors sells cars in Detroit, Milwaukee, Kansas, and Shanghai, right? And, and Ford sells cars in Seoul, South Korea, um, Ho Chi Minh, and everywhere across the United States, right? And and uh, Hershey sells candy everywhere, and Coca-Cola sells pop everywhere, and um, J.P. Morgan has offices across the country uh, and everywhere across the world, right? It's the argument that you don't need to own international anymore because the, our companies are global. Well, international large companies are global too. Nestle, 30% of their revenue comes from Europe. That's where they're located. 31% of their, uh, their, their revenue comes from emerging markets. 29% from North America, that's us, and 10% from Asia Pacific. So Nestle is one of the biggest companies in Europe, and they're deriving over 70% of the revenue internationally. So yes, they're invested in the U.S., but they're also global, right? And, and so Royal Dutch Shell, uh, very, very similar statistics. Actually, it's closer to 80% for Royal Dutch Shell. Um, you look at BP, uh, SAP, all these companies drive the revenue not only from international components, but also from domestic U.S., our domestic, right? And so the point is that our country, our companies, our large companies are global, but international companies that are large are also global. And so the point is, is ev if everybody's global, Nestle and Hershey, all else equal, should trade at similar valuations. But what I just got done telling you is that Nestle is cheaper than Hershey because the U.S. has outperformed for a variety of reasons, mostly due to uh, the sector weighting, but also due to the fact that the U.S. has just gotten more expensive, right? So uh, almost 4% of the outperformance over the last 10 years has been the U.S. being more expensive 
per dollar of price for dollar of earning over the last 10 years. And I'm just telling you that that I don't think is going to continue. It could, we could, I could be wrong. Morningstar did a study and I, I referenced this is that what they're saying is that the U.S. market, as expensive as it is right now, it has to have 7.9% growth of companies, forward growth estimates, okay? And that happens less than 12% of the time. And that's just that's just the, the facts, and especially since we just got off of a period that was very unlikely to begin with. It's unlikely. There's too many headwinds. We're too expensive to begin with. And the fact of the matter is, International markets are cheaper, so I'll take the cheaper. So personally, I invest a lot internationally. I have a lot of uh, emerging market um, funds. I have a lot of international developed funds. And you have to be comfortable with the fact that your portfolio is going to do different performance at different periods of time. It might be better, it might be worse than what you're seeing on the news, right? So you watch the S&P 500, if it's up 3% and your portfolio is up once, probably because you got some international, right? But I'm comfortable with that because... The next five years don't really matter that much for me. Um, I'm investing for the next 50. And statistics revert to the average, right? And, and so the U.S. cannot outperform it the way that it has based on our demographics, the current valuations, the, the headwinds facing us. I'm a big fan of international investing for a lot of the different reasons that I just laid out. But if I were to say one thing overall is that I don't know what's going to happen. And so because I don't know what's going to happen, I'll put the math on my side. And the math on my side is that the international for all else equals should outperform over the next 10 years. In fact, looking at Morningstar in their research, and again, this is one of the most well-respected research firms in, in, in the country, hired by many of the largest investment management firms in the country, and their growth expected uh, performance for the U.S. stock market is 3% a year for the next 10 years. For international, it's 8.5%. I don't have to get that full 5.5% on a performance. I just have to get a little bit of it. And so and I'm not saying bail on U.S. stock market. I'm just saying you should own both because the fact of the matter is we're not going to be smarter than every other investor out there. You just can't be. You're not going to predict what's going to perform best. Uh, is it going to be Italy? Is it going to be Spain? Is it going to be the U.S.? And what I'm telling you is that by buying just the U.S., which is only 58% of the market, but 4% of the population, you're telling yourself, I know for a fact, I'm smarter than everybody else. The U.S. is going to perform better. It's not, it, it may, it may, but the math doesn't say that. So that's going to do it for this week's episode of Prosperity by the Pine. I hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to forget to subscribe youtube facebook spotify itunes wherever you listen that's where you are cheers and here's to spare time hazy ipa they make good beer they do they have great ipas in milwaukee there was another one and justin drank the last one last night justin